Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Geek Warning from the Escape Collective. I'm James Huang, and once again joined here by Escape Collective senior technical editor Dave Rome. Only this time, Dave, you are not sitting across from me in a hotel room. You're back in Sydney, Australia. Uh, mm-hmm. How's a how's your jet lag doing? It's not too bad. It's not too bad. I actually, uh, for once, managed to sleep slightly on a plane. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't a good sleep, but it, it was something. So, hit the ground running and uh, been busy writing many articles since. Do you, do you watch any fun movies? Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, I can't remember what they are, though. So, they're clearly <laughs> not so memorable. Uh, no upgrade to first class? Sadly not, but uh, almost the next best thing. I had my own row. Oh, oh, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not bad at all. So you get to maybe, maybe that's why you were sleeping. Yes, exactly. That's exactly why I was sleeping. <laughs> well, uh, we have an awesome show for you. As always, we've got a few things to talk about. It's been a little quiet on the tech news front here. <laughs> However, uh, we do have some pretty big news. Shimano has just announced new versions of mechanical GRX gravel and 105 road mechanical 12 speed group sets. Uh, we've got some. Well, unfortunately, some more layoffs to announce at Wahoo. Uh, I'm not really sure what's going on there. Maybe just some reshuffling after their buyback. Uh, and Dave and I, as you regular listeners should know, uh, we just got back from the Made Handmade Show in Portland, Oregon. We're going to go over a few of our favorites. And we also have a nice little interview with one of our favorite builders. So, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get into it, I think. Maybe just before we do that, however, uh, just a quick reminder that this podcast is funded by our members, uh, meaning that we, you know, we have no sponsored episodes, you're not inundated with ads. Uh, we work for you, just to be clear. And if that's what you like hearing and seeing from us at Escape Collective, please consider becoming a member if you haven't already signed up. You do get access to all of our incredible content. Full members also get to jump into the comment section, which is quite civil, I have to say. Uh, you also get access to the members-only Discord channel, where our community talks about everything and everything. Uh, about anything and everything, I should say. So yeah, monthly subscriptions start at just seven bucks a month. We've got discounted annual options. You can head over to escapecollective.com slash joined for more info. All right, let's get into the news, shall we? First up, the big news, I think. Uh, Shimano dropped a couple of big things this, t- uh, well, today, actually, by the time you're listening to this. Mm-hmm. First one I think we should go over probably is uh, this new GRX group set, which we kind of had a little bit of a preview of when we... Uh, we got some nice photos from our friend Ben Delaney over at the ride with Ben Delaney. Uh, he got some photos of that unreleased, well, then unreleased group set at Unbound Gravel. Uh, Dave, you get now have the official information though. So, what is this thing? And yeah. basically, did did we get anything wrong in that preview article? Uh, I I'm not sure about the preview article. Actually, uh, I need to go back and check whether whether you got it wrong. I I, I don't think so. But uh, yeah. So yeah, Shimano uh, sent me all the way to Bend, Oregon, of all places, to to ride the new GRX, and uh, the riding was was cut in half due to bushfires, but still managed to get uh, a few hours on the new stuff, so have some early impressions. Uh, but yeah, basically what we're looking at is a new mechanical updated version of GRX RX 800 series, so it's now RX 820. And yeah, there's three different gearing options. So there's uh, one by with a 10 to 45 tooth cassette. There's a one by with a 10 to 51 tooth cassette. And then there's the faithful old two by system with the 48, 31 tooth chain rings. 
Uh, moving to a 10-tooth sprocket, that does mean mm-hmm. a switch to a microspline freehub body, though, doesn't it? Sure does. So it's using, a, at that level, it's using an XT cassette. It's even got the XT branding on the back of the cassette. And uh, yeah, so if you're using their the one by the, the new 12-speed one by uh, version of GRX, then you will need to update your freehub body to the microspline which was a system introduced with 12-speed mountain bike. Uh, and it, yeah, it, it allows that 10-tooth cog to overhang the freehub body. Uh, so yeah, there's some complication there. It seems like some wheel brands didn't know this was coming and, and currently don't offer microspline in a 142-millimeter mi- uh, width rear hub. Uh, but yeah, I don't think it'll take very long because speaking to the hub brands that did know it was coming, it's it sounds like it's just a set of end caps to make that happen. Well, that's good. I mean, hopefully... At this point, most companies' hubs seem pretty interchangeable, so that shouldn't be too big of an issue. Hopefully, it's just like a, a skew configuration thing. Yeah. Um, as far as the components themselves go, my understanding is it's sort of a hybrid kind of between kind of like Jerex and, and XT. Um, is that a good thing in this case? Like, th- are there any performance advantages? It seems to me like the biggest one here is addressing the maybe not super competitive gear range that Shimano had with existing one by GRX. Is that correct? Yeah. So they fixed the gear range in the one by solution. Uh, so yeah, the, that, you know, up to 10 to 51 tooth cassette is a, a whole lot better than what was previously available. Like I was, or I still am on a gravel bike running previous generation uh, GRX with an 11 to 46 tooth, 11 speed cassette. Uh, and that officially was actually beyond the, technical capacity of of grx it it worked perfectly some bike brands like bmc used to spec it but it wasn't actually recommended by shimano uh so yeah officially that the old grx was 11 to 42 tooth cassette so yeah some big changes there which is super positive uh the other element is because they've upgraded to their 12 speed systems which is uh sharing a chain across road and mountain bike uh, they've now introduced that that Hyperglide Plus shifting ramp system, uh, which uh, really improves the the way the the shift happens under power, especially when moving down the cassette uh, toward the the outside of the bike. So to your harder gears, that's sort of the where where it's most advantageous. Advantageous. Mm. Mm. Okay. Uh, first impressions. Yeah, really good. Um, I would say on the negative side, I does seem as you'd expect with tighter gear spacing it does seem more sensitive to adjustment and uh certainly hanger alignment is going to be a bigger issue so that's sort of my my main concern with it but but beyond that when you when you've got the cable tension dialed um yeah i mean it it shifts quicker and easier than than 11 speed the the lever throw is less like noticeably you, you need to push the lever noticeably less to get the the shift to to happen uh and yeah the under power it is incredibly good um i i have no hesitation despite not spending a lot of time on it i have no hesitation saying it's currently the best mechanical performance gravel group set on the market interesting i mean that's not i guess that shouldn't be a huge surprise considering we're talking about shifting and shimano here yeah exactly so i mean their competition is shram apex which is a entry-level group set uh whereas you know Shimano's version is more sits at like an Altegra level in terms of pricing, uh, and then yeah, there's probably Campagnola Ica. Um, I I I'm much preferring the way the Shimano shifts at this at this time, but mm, more time to be okay. spent. Cool. 
All right. Well, uh, you can head over to escapecollective.com for Dave's very, very detailed article on that. So uh, if you have any questions, make sure you drop those in the comments on that article. And uh, the other half of this Shimano launch that they have done today is, uh, well, another product that was kind of inadvertently leaked, I think, back at Eurobike, now that I think Mm. about it. Uh, it's the new updated mechanical 105 road group set. Uh, I'm particularly excited about this one. This one looks really good. So what are the details here? Yeah. So I, I guess most importantly, uh, Shimano released 105 DI2 last year in, in 12 speed to match Altegra and, and Durace. And there was no real word of mechanical. They were very silent on it. And we we're sort of asking questions about, are you going to bring out a mechanical version? And, and it, kind of almost sounded like they weren't it sounded like that it was going to be like tiagra was going to be the best mechanical option so this is really exciting that this has actually finally happened uh and i guess it for now it looks like it'll be shimano's best mechanical road group set uh first and foremost it's now hydraulic best displayed. mechanical 12 speed we sorry should say. yes so yes 12 speed uh so yeah the it's using all the same running gear as 105 di2 so the crank the chain, the cassettes, the brake calipers, the brake hoses, the rotors, all the same. The only new things are the two derailers and the shifters, uh, which pull cables or are pulled by cables. For me, the most uh, telling thing, I guess, of, of where the market's at is Shimano have gone all in with hydraulic disc brakes. So there is no rim brake or um, yeah, mechanical brake option in these. Uh, there's only one set of levers that you can get. So that's that's going to be a, a key thing to know here. Um, the other interesting thing is that there's only one rear derailleur. So you no longer have a choice of cage lengths. It's just uh, the one rear derailleur that's supplied is to shift with either the 11 to 34 or the 11 to 36 tooth cassette ranges offered in 105. Uh, so yeah, a bit more limiting there. And then likewise, there's only two crank options in 105. You've got a a compact or a semi-compact to choose from. So more limited options, um, but it looks good. And I guess looking at the levers, I haven't put my hands on them yet, but the big change there is that they've they've shortened the reach. So uh, especially good for, for those with shorter hands. And yeah, there's a more obvious uh, scoop to the, to the brake lever, which should make it easier to reach when you're in the drops. Yeah, looking at the images of the stuff, I mean, it, like you said, it does look quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... It's definitely not quite as like curvaceous as I guess you could say as uh, like Altegra and Durace, but like the crank in particular, <clears throat> the crank in particular is like a Durace clone almost. Yeah. Um, and then I guess love it or hate it, it unfortunately only comes in an all black finish um, yep. with Shimano 105 being mostly aluminum. Like it really, I don't know, seemed like it was kind of a kind of a prime opportunity to go with a, a more polished or kind of clear anodized something silver finish but you know I, i've campaigned for that before and have clearly lost so yeah i think i think there's an element of of the silver finish uh potentially adding cost uh i think it's a harder finish That's to achieve 100 percent harder yeah. to achieve yeah so i mean shimano has absolutely done 105 and silver before and you didn't see it in the market nearly as much as you saw the black stuff so and you know They've they've obviously gone with where the demand is. I I too would love a silver group, but uh, you know, being all aluminium, maybe this one can be polished up if you've if you've got a, a spare few weeks, or or decide to send a box of things over to Chris Howard at Cyclo Retro in Melbourne. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I think it it looks really good. Um, I think in terms of weight, you're looking at about three kilograms for a whole group set, which is 
from what I saw, it was less than 100 grams more than the 105 DO2 equivalent. Um, pricing is like a thousand US dollars for a whole group set. Really not bad. Uh, but yeah, one of my favorite elements of this is that because it's using the same 12 speed system as all the DI2 options, there's nothing stopping you from uh, upgrading. Say you bought a bike with this 105 mechanical, there's nothing stopping you from upgrading to like a new Altegra crankset or an Altegra cassette uh, or a better chain, which would, you know, shift, improve your shift performance, but obviously save a lot of the weight difference that you're seeing in between these group sets. Uh, and I guess one key thing to know is that uh shimano 105 cassettes do not have hyperglide plus shifting ramps on them so it, that only begins at altegra and durace and it was explained to me that uh that's because machining those shifting ramps into such a small tightly spaced cassette is actually quite difficult and costly so they just don't bother with 105 so yeah there's some shifting performance gains to be had by by upgrading to an altegra cassette hmm. interesting well I don't know how big of a deal that'll be. I mean, realistically, historically, Shimano's road shifting has been pretty awesome. Yep. Uh, I mean, Hyperglide Plus does make it tangibly better, but the, I mean, you're it's already kind of in splitting hairs there. Yeah, I, I've, I was recently, before going to the US, I was jumping between wheel sets, one with Hyperglide Plus, one without with a 105 cassette. Uh, not an obvious difference. Pretty subtle, pretty subtle. Yeah. All right, well, uh, Dave, I know you did not get a chance to ride that stuff. Uh, do we have any sense as to when Shimano might have the stuff out on the market? Uh, almost immediately is from what I was told, which is very uh, very different to what Shimano used to do, which was uh, send out a press release and then release the product six to nine months later. Uh, right. So yeah, I'm, I was told that at least for Australia, they're expecting aftermarket parts as soon as October. And that uh, OE supply, so supply on complete bikes, might even be before then. Hmm, interesting. Do you have a do you have a test group set lined up? Not of the 105. Uh, I'm hoping to find some bikes with that have it. So we'll see. Okay. All yeah. right. Sounds good. Well, like your GRX setup, uh, Dave, you do have a very detailed article up on EscapeCollective.com. So go ahead and head there. Uh, for more info. And again, if you've got any questions about 105, leave them in the comments and we'll address them as quickly as we can. Uh, also, Dave, you have a bit of a bit of an interview, a little deep dive with uh, one of the people from Shimano that you talked to when you Two were of the at people. the launch event. Two of the people. Okay. Mm. Um, but uh, so that'll be like a little bit of a bonus deep dive geek warning episode. So stay tuned for that in the coming days. We'll have that up pretty soon. So stay tuned for that. Um, mm. All right. Enough with Shimano for now. Um, yeah, a little bit of not maybe not so great news to share. This is never a fun thing for us to cover. Uh, we are hearing about some more layoffs at Wahoo Fitness, which may be a little bit unexpected considering it kind of comes on the heels of what should have been pretty good news about uh, about the company being bought by bought back by its founder. Um, Dave, do we have any info as far as what happened and who got who unfortunately got let go? Yeah, so it's seems like uh Wahoo has closed it's it's actually fairly new sports science division. Uh they've just yeah, shut it down and and everyone that's associated with that. And I think it's unfortunate, but I I also think the writing might have been on the wall with this one that you know, they they bought the company back and they would have really had to assess the areas of the company that are profitable and then the areas of the company that are that are a cost and and unfortunately, the the side of uh, yeah, the sports science side, and dare I say, some of the software side is is probably the stuff that 
that turned Wahoo into a, uh, you know, got them to to the bad place that they were <clears> in. So, uh, yeah, this is is bad news, but I don't know if it's all that surprising. Um, yeah. So the Wahoo Fitness, this the sports science division, was headquartered uh, pretty close to my house, actually here in Boulder, Colorado. A nice little facility that they had opened up really not too long ago, if I remember correctly. You know, we talked, uh, we have talked a lot in the past about watching companies who have kind of expanded beyond what seem to be their core competencies and uh, usually with not fantastic results, um, particularly for smaller companies that maybe don't have a whole lot of cash reserves as Wahoo apparently didn't really seem to. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's for sure absolutely never, ever good news to hear that someone's lost their job. Uh, I think, I think, I think it's a subject pretty near and dear to our hearts over here. Mm, um, it's a familiar topic. But, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it does. Yeah. Dave, I think I would agree that it does seem like the sort of thing where if Wahoo is going to be kind of more of a lean and mean company again, if they're going to kind of get back to what they were really, really good at, which in that case was kind of GPS computers and indoor trainers and that sort of thing. Um, I guess it does make sense to kind of pull back a little bit and just kind yeah. of think more about their their core business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, thoughts go out to everyone that was involved in this next series of layoffs and yeah, hope you all land on your feet. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure I know personally at least one of the, one of the people who would have been affected by this. So anyway, uh, moving on to news that's a little bit more fun uh if you listen to the last episode you'll know that dave and i were just at the made handmade bicycle show it's a new handmade show that uh, took place in portland oregon um dave what were your impressions of the show because mine were pretty positive i mean having attended an awful lot of nabs events the north american north american handmade bicycle show uh this one kind of felt like i would say like kind of like old school nab shows like it was a little gritty, a little dirty. It was like kind of open very, air outdoors, very sort of gritty. Thing, but yeah, <laughs> but uh, but it was also like kind of like core in the sense that mm-hmm. you had a whole bunch of really cool builders. You had new builders, old builders. You had a pretty wide range of stuff, and there was just a really good vibe. Uh, what what were your impressions? Yeah, it, it uh, certainly felt fitting for Portland to have it in an old uh, shipbuilding yard that hadn't been cleaned since second war by the looks of it um, i'm sure there was no lead dust in the flooring no no <coughs> um <laughs> yeah i was i was blown away it, it was huge show uh amazing vibes really good foot traffic uh yeah i mean it, it was just kind of uh sensory overload was was a term being thrown around a lot because uh yeah it's you know, every builder there was sort of sandwiched against the next builder and as you walk these aisles there's more than a hundred well how many were there i think there might have been as many as 200 exhibitors i think there were a couple hundred yeah yeah and it's just like you know they're all kind of sandwiched in all sort of like you know on top of each other and it's very easy to just walk two to three meters and then blow past a builder who's doing something absolutely incredible um yep yeah it really was yeah i was there for four days and i still didn't see everything oh no no i mean i was only there for just shy of three days and i easily could have used another two yeah. um one of those days was media only too so in theory we well, mm-hmm. i guess one and a half day one and a half of those days were media only so we in theory should have been 
pretty quick about blowing through a bunch of stuff. But as you said, there was just an awful lot to see and pay attention to and talk to people about. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the ticket sales looked like. Uh, it, I certainly saw a pretty steady stream of people coming in when mm-hmm. the doors opened up to the public. Uh, so I hope things went pretty well. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it certainly seemed to me like, I don't know, kind of felt like it could have used another day. I certainly could have used another day. Yeah, that said, I mean, fatigue certainly sets in around there. There was a lot of walking. The floor Literally is, fatigue, yeah. Yes. The floor was very hard. Uh, a lot of the builders, you know, they had an extra day to set up as well and to pack up. So, I mean, it's it's an, being four-day show, it's, it's actually an entire week for the builders. True. So, very true. Uh, I think it's definitely long enough. Uh and yeah, but it keeps you wanting a little bit more. But uh, yeah, uh, there's certainly a lot of fresh faces in the building scene that were there that I, I apologize for not getting the time to talk to. Uh, I tried to, you know, I tried to give myself a mission of talking to a, a handful of people that I, I had no idea what they did and who they were. Um, and that's, you know, that's some of the stuff that we have in our galleries. But yeah, suddenly there were many, many more. Oh, yeah. There were absolutely a whole bunch that I didn't have a chance to talk to that I wanted to check out. So we'll have to reserve those for another year, unfortunately. Mm. Um, Dave, again, I mean, we've covered a whole bunch at this point. I think by the time this uh, this podcast goes live, we'll have had, I think, probably six galleries go up. Uh, mm-hmm. So we've got quite a lot of images that are up on EscapeCollective.com but from the Made Show. Um, you got any favorites that you want to shout out to? Yeah, there was quite a few, uh, but... I mean, top of my mind is the number 22 Drifter Adventure Gravel Bike. I mean, that thing is Bonkers. is so cool. Uh, so, yeah, number 22, they're uh, titanium specialists. Uh, it's actually the old Sorota team are, are building a lot of these. Uh, and, yeah, it's they're always incredible. They're always, like, rolling art. But this uh, this drifter adventure bike it's um it's their latest gravel bike it's got clearance for 50 millimeter tires it's it's a one buyer only bike it's it's now running their own 3d titanium printed dropout for for udh compatibility so the one i photographed had um shram trans transmission set up on it but then you start looking at the finer details of this bike so they've now they're now making their own headset they're making their own headset for their internal cable bikes this is not an internal cable bike so they've made their own titanium headset top cap and a headset assembly and spaces and stem and top cap for that uh so it all matches perfectly with the frame uh and then you're running your fingers along the top tube and you spot that it's actually a coupled bike with their with the company's own uh secret couplers and using its own brake hose coupler inside of that so it's just a, a fantastic looking bike. And the more time you spend with it, the more you realize how many features they've packed into it. And to be clear, those couplers are not standard. I mean, you can definitely get your yeah. frame coupled. Yeah. Uh, but that's not just that's not how number 22 is just building all those drifters. No, um, no. Good note. But yeah. So but yeah, I mean, I, I've watched number two. I've watched that company develop its products develop over the years. And it is pretty incredible to see how much they have progressed prog- uh, particularly in their finish work yep um their their anodizing work is i i would say it's probably second to none at mm-hmm. this point mm-hmm. it is absolutely bonkers and it is the sort of thing that really you know as as much as we try to f- put it into photographs like it's you just have to see it in person it's yep. insane yeah but yeah that the the matching headset and top cap and spaces i think is something that 
not many builders are doing. I, I can't think of too many others that are doing that. And it just completes the look of the bike. Like I think that's the next thing that we're going to see other builders they're going to need to do because it just looks so much better than having like a stack of black spaces on the bike. Um, totally. So, so totally. for me, that was that was awesome. And uh, they also won. Uh, there were no awards, but they still won booth of the show. So, uh, yeah, they they had uh, corrugated, um, sort of accordion style recycled paper as their. It's like a paper booth. lantern almost sort of thing. Mm. So yeah, well, like you know those those little things that you can get at like carnivals and stuff like that. Like they, like they're. It's like two little sti- two little wooden sticks, and then pa- like folded paper in between, and then you you sort of like unwind it the other way, yeah. and it kind of looks like a lollipop. Yeah, it's like that. Their entire booth was paper. So uh, cool, very, very yeah. compact. Mm-hmm. Bryce, uh, Bryce shared with me. Uh, I guess it was like a architectural layout drawing for their booth, where he had like the rate the planned radius for like the way it's, <laughs> the paper would swoop through. And he's and he told me that it was like uh, modular, so you could move the booth around based on the light available. That's They're on another get. level. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorites came from uh, probably a lesser known builder to a lot of people. Um, she's based in Squamish, British Columbia. Her name is Danielle Shun. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I always mess up the the umlaut thing. Um, but uh, her company is called Shun Studio, and uh, she made a custom gravel cargo bike it was not a gravel e-cargo bike it was just a a gravel cargo bike Uh, a custom build fully custom for um a husband and wife pair who wanted to go back bikepacking with their dog Mm. interestingly enough um and and it was a pretty huge height disparity like the apparently the husband six two and the wife was five two uh so the bike had to fit both had some very interesting requirements had to be off-road friendly uh, had to have a capacity for a dog. Uh, I forgot to ask how big the dog was, but seemingly the dog was not very small. Um, but uh, uh, the detail work on this thing was amazing. I mean, Danielle had said that this was really her first cargo bike, so it was kind of a little bit of a joint experiment. So um, the customer apparently was very aware that this was going to be sort of a uh, – they were going to be somewhat of a guinea pig, so to speak, as far as <laughs> testing out some stuff, which is fine. Um, but the detail work on that bike was just bonkers. It was just so, so cool. Um, just the, the frame layout, the, the paint work, um, the geometry was meant to be kind of, kind of on the sportier side, which seemed kind of fun. Uh, I love that it was a, a gravel cargo bike, it had, you know, knobby schwabby tires front and rear, uh, had a power meter on it. It was pretty cool. It was a one by kind of mullet drivetrain sort of setup. Uh, it it was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous, and uh, like that sort of thing doesn't necessarily apply to the sort to, to what I do with cargo bikes, but uh, that sort of specific request I feel like very much embodies the kind of thing that you really only see at handmade bike shows like that, custom shows, because like there's just no way in hell you're finding that off the shelf anywhere. Yeah, uh, and I love that someone can have that sort of idea in mind and find someone to do it. And it did go to a local customer. So it was made in Squamish and it was going to a customer in Squamish, which was awfully cool. That's awesome. Yeah. There, there were actually a, a couple more um, female builders in the show. Uh, uh, there might be even more than that. I, I spoke There were to, a whole bunch. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, spoke to two more and their, their bikes are absolutely incredible. Uh, you know, they, they both come with like really illustrious careers and fabricating frames for other brands. And in Australia, I don't think we have a single female builder in the scene uh so Mm. it's just cool to see yeah 
Well, Paragon Machine Works, uh, they're, uh, they're kind of like a small parts supplier to a lot of builders. Mm-hmm. They do like dropouts, head tubes, stuff like that. Um, they actually had a really super cool story that they posted on their Instagram account. And it was just portrait after portrait of all of the women builders who that they work with, either like either the builder or like they're running the company or somehow involved with the company. And it was just image after image after image of all mm. these women who were at the show. And again, this the sort of thing where I wish we had had more time to talk to more builders in general and just get more stories because there's just there's so much we could dig into there. Yeah. So we'll have to yeah wonder wonder follow up. I mean, yeah the the two I've still got to cover in upcoming galleries. Um, there was Ashley of uh, uh, significant other bikes. Uh, oh, she, I wanted to talk to yeah, her. So she's Those bikes uh, look awesome. She's a fabricator in Colorado, working with uh, what's the group? Is it Merlin? What's the parent company to Merlin? Uh, Janus. Is that what it is? Uh, I think I think is what you're talking about. Mm. I think. Oh, if- okay, uh, that's a day job. But uh, yeah, and then she's got significant other bikes, which uh, she had this really cool fixie on display with uh, a lot of like 3D printed pieces into it as well, mm. uh, which very interesting. Uh, favorite piece was she had speed holes in the seat tube for uh, for a D lock to run through, Ooh. just because just because you can. Uh, and then the other one was B Vivit, who uh, is used to actually teach at the UBI Frame Building School, uh, and she runs Hot Salad Bicycles, which is quite fun. Uh, and they shared a bike on display that I believe was being made for our old colleague Anna Marie Rook. Um, I was just going to say she did just have a bike made by them. Yes, so I actually photographed that, and that was uh, yeah. Anyway, you'll need to see it to believe it in the galleries, but it's got this most ridiculous Anno slash powder coat fade on it. Cool, cool. Well, I'm just going to do one more of my favorites. Um, I've mentioned before that uh, there is that new Canadian brand framework uh, that I actually just had a frame show up a little bit ago. So I'm not going to go into too much detail with with them just because we've talked about them quite a bit and I'm about to share an awful lot more information about. Um, But another bike that really, really really caught my eye was that uh was that mosaic road bike that you actually just featured in Mm -hmm. your recent gallery yep um and the bike itself i feel like wasn't like it it wasn't like crazy groundbreaking or anything it was it was fairly straightforward um but the the finish work on it was absolutely stunning like had this pearlescent white base coat with this kind of multicolor graphic thing I don't even know how to describe it. It was part of it's part of the Mosaics Artist series, I think is what they call it. But just absolutely stunning. Like every time I walked by, I just couldn't help but stare at it. It was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And yes, I understand that white bikes are harder to keep clean, but this one was at least glossy. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, I feel like if you were at least kind of careful and not getting not letting grease stick on it or not letting stuff get stained, I feel like I feel like that could look just like that for a very, very long time. I feel like, I feel like having, I feel like the difficulty of keeping that th- that thing clean should not be a deterrent to having a bike that beautiful. Is that is that a message for someone in particular, James? No, no, it not, feels not like a anyone very in particular. <laughs> message. Uh, okay, fine. It may maybe a slightly pointed message. Uh, Kristen Legan, who does some PR work for Mosaic, she had mentioned to me that. Uh, her significant other, actually, uh, who uh, who's Nick Legan. I think he's the brand manager at Shimano, I think, mm-hmm. is his official title. Yeah. Uh, apparently, he had told her that uh, he – apparently, he he 
disapproved of having a white bicycle like that because in his experience as a professional mechanic, those bikes were just nearly impossible to keep clean. Um, but my argument was, it's not a matte finish. It's a glossy finish. Mm. How hard could it be? Yeah. Yeah. So pretty. Kristen, get yeah. one. Just yeah, get one. That paint. Yeah. The paint of the show. Unbelievable. Uh, anyway, I mean, we could go and sit down and, well, we could sit down and go over our favorites all day. But again, you mm-hmm. should head over to escapecollective.com and check out all the galleries that we have. Uh, beautiful full-size images. So hopefully you're looking at all that stuff on a giant screen. Um, but uh, one thing that was really cool, and I unfortunately was not part of this conversation because I had to leave a little bit early. But Dave, you were able to sit down with one of our favorite builders in the custom world, Rob English, who also has done some columns for us at Escape Collective. Yes. Uh I don't want to give away too much of the conversation, but uh, yeah, you recorded a nice little interview with him. So I think we should go ahead and toss over to that because Rob and you covered quite a bit of ground there. And Rob had some interesting things to say. So let's go ahead and take a listen to that. Let's do it. All right. I'm with Rob English of English Cycles. Rob, where are we? Uh, we are sat in the, the back of a giant uh, old barge shed uh, in Portland under a bridge um, at the uh, Made Handbuilt Show, the first edition of the new Handbuilt Bike Show. Okay, we're on the final day. Uh, it's four days. There was uh, three public days. Uh, this is the third of the public days, but there was also a, a sneaky little media-only day as well, an industry day, uh, to kick things off earlier in the week. So how are you feeling? Uh, tired. Four, four days is a long show um, to be standing on concrete, uh, but uh, but it's been really good. It's been you know, four years since the last NABS, and um, nice to be back in back in the space with the community and uh, get. To, it's been really good to actually to interact with some of the other builders. Um, so yeah, happy. A few uh, familiar faces, a few new faces, I assume. Um, yeah, there's so many new new builders this mm. this time around. It seems like, um, and it's been really nice. There's been quite a few people I've corresponded with. I'm now able to put faces to names, which has been great, um, including yourself. Yes, yes, we finally meet. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, Rob, you've got a few bikes on display. Uh, what did you bring with you? Uh, so kind of kind of low key the show this time because it was just like kind of. Uh, rock up to my local <laughs> local event but um a, a little project bike which was uh an homage to my uh teenage years growing up as a mountain biker in the uk um and i was always inspired by a company called pace who made um aluminium bikes out of square tubing and butted the tubing by milling the the sides of the tubes and i managed to find a new old stock pace fork crown on ebay um and so kind of built the whole bike around that as an homage to them so kind of in steel because that's what i build in but did the same thing with square tubing um uh but with modern geometry modern parts Hmm. um and and yeah i've been copying their stuff for years i mean they they did the one piece stem steerer that i've been doing for 20 years interesting so it's nice to kind of give an actual nod to where that originally came from do you have any connection or any contact with uh, some of the original founders i don't i've got a buddy back home who rides with one of them okay um but otherwise yeah no so yeah <laughs> uh for those that don't know it like uh yeah can you tell us a bit about your, your history i mean you moved around the world a bit so uh yeah your english cycles i mean your surname is english but you <laughs> have an english background as well 
Uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in England um, and uh, built my first bike there in high school at 15. Um, then went off and studied mechanical engineering at Cambridge. Um, and yeah, I was just trying to find my way into the bike industry in some way. Um, and I worked for a startup company in Massachusetts for a year. And that sadly folded. Um, and then I call it my uh, my bike bum years where I just uh, spent the summers in England racing and then went south every winter. So I missed winter for four years, um, which was pretty great. Uh, but during that time, I was talking to various people and ended up um, Bike Friday, who make folding bikes here in, in Oregon, um, got me a visa to come be their engineer. Okay. So that, that brought me over here. and um, Who are actually here at the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and very nicely, they have an open shop policy. So, um, you know, once my de- the day job was done, I had full access to a bike factory, so I could start playing around with my own ideas. Wow. Um, okay. So my first few frames were built there, and then I gradually started building out my own shop, and mm. um, eventually got to the point where it's time to go full time with it. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, how long ago was that? Uh, 2009, I started the business. About three years later, I went full-time. Full-time. Yeah. Full-time ever since. Yeah. Okay. So you had the Pace uh, homage to the the Pace bike, which we, uh, James actually James Wong actually covered on com. if you yeah. want to see some photos of it. Uh, very cool bike. I'm intrigued to hear uh, how it rides yeah, once you yeah, get that too. opportunity. It's very interesting. That I, I can do some rough calculations on what the torsional properties of the square tubing will be, but... What does that actually translate to? We'll be yes. find out. Yeah. Yes, definitely not a common shape in the amongst the halls here. Like right. it's uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. So the other bikes. What what else have you got on display? Uh, so then I brought uh, kind of my take on the modern road bike, uh, which for better or worse has the fully integrated hoses with the the NV system up front, um, and then just a real minimalist what it needs to be and nothing more road bike um clears okay. 32 mil tires um got hidden hidden fender mounts just in case um and just a oh the, the fun thing on it was that i've come a big fan of having a frame bag on on my bikes like riding without stuff in your back pockets is, is really nice um and so i worked with my bag maker on this one to prototype bag with magnets in it mm. um so the bike doesn't need any bosses and there's no straps so hopefully that's going to work out well. Nice. Have you used that yet? Uh, it... No, I've got one customer testing the first prototype. Okay. And he said it's working great. Yeah. Um, and this one actually has stronger magnets than that one. So... And, and the magnets are profiled to match the tube shape, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very clever. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not something you could probably do with a, a carbon frame or so easily do with <laughs> right. a carbon frame or any yeah, other material. But... Ferrous, ferrous, ferrous materials for yep. the wind on that one. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, All right. Well, let's. Uh, I'm keen to hear. Uh, you've been talking about your bikes for three days now, <laughs> going on to the fourth. Uh, is there a, a most commonly asked question that you're you're sort of getting sick of answering? Uh, well, obviously the, the the pace bike is like. I, I think the whole weekend there's been seven people who've actually walked up and gone, "Oh, it's a pace." It's like great. Uh, by and the, the other hundreds. Yeah, I have to explain. Yeah, um, okay. <laughs> um, and then the other question is. Always the question is about my seat stays. Um, I always have to. So you're you're known. Your I guess your signature on some of your bikes is the the wishbone, very very skinny, very mm. uh, narrow, 
narrow diameter seat stays that, that end in a wishbone stay. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's actually something you wrote about for us on Escape Collective uh, in the past um, in your column. Uh, the why of bike tech? Is that, is that why, the why is of bike tech? Yeah, I think that's what we some, one of yeah. the, we called it was something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, what's what's the idea there? And uh, you've obviously been doing it a very long time. So yeah, it works. so I think because I came into building like more more regular bikes from a background of doing folding bikes and recumbents and other stuff where you just kind of start from first principles. So I wasn't constrained by how things have always been done. So from an engineering standpoint, I was looking at the structure and the. Once the chain stays are triangulated across the rear axle, particularly with steel, is such a that's a very rigid structure. So that provides all the lateral stiffness at the back of the bike, um, and the seat stays are just a prop. So that structure is only loaded in compression, um, and steel tube is so strong in compression that even what I'm using is really still overbuilt mm. for, for most applications. Yeah, okay. um, and uh, and it's <laughs> you know being 14 years in with this now, it's like like, okay, yeah, I'm, it's fine. Like, <laughs> it's pretty proven at this point. Right, right. Uh, have you, is it even possible to go skinnier? Oh, yeah. I'm like, so yeah. most of the time I build with uh, three eight, so nine and a half millimeter seat stays. Mm-hmm. Um, for smaller riders, and actually on some of my personal bikes, I've gone down to five sixteenths, which is eight, eight millimeter. Okay. Um, and like, I haven't quite tried going down to quarter inch yet. It's like, yeah. <laughs> but I might try at some point. Just Yeah. See what I learned. Maybe for next year's maid show. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, have you had a chance to walk around much, see what others are up to? Uh, yeah, you... yeah, a little bit. I mean, there's so many people doing great work here. Yeah. It's, um, and, and particularly some of the new people who I haven't seen before. Um, so, Chris at Flux, mm-hmm. um, I think they're out of. Colorado, but yeah, Denver. You know, yeah, move from yeah. painting bikes to building bikes. Yes, and he's got some. He's doing some really beautiful work with titanium and carbon. Yeah, um, he's almost done it in reverse. Hey, like uh, a lot of frame builders perfect the craft of fabrication and then and then learn the how to bring paint in house. He's right. He's done the paint in house kind of <laughs> set that up as a business, and now he wants to build the frames to go underneath it. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, he's actually doing some some interesting things. He's also uh, trying to be full service to the point that he's stitching his own bags. Right. And and did he tell you he sewed those bags in the hotel room last yeah. night? Like, yeah, and they look great. I know, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, just too, too much talent. Yeah. Okay, it's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, that's one. Like That, that yeah. was one I had in, in my gallery. It's, uh, yeah, absolutely stunning paint. But, I mean, underneath that, there's some pretty interesting right. frame design with a like, carbon... Um, mixed with titanium and and how he yeah. did the fenders on the bike and things just some, some thoughtful yes touches yes um and then uh i was talking with uh tyler at bitchin um mm-hmm. he's been i have so many people ask me oh can you build me a steel one piece drop handlebar stem i'm like i'm sorry i'd love to but i can't i can't thin walled steel just can't be bent in that radius um but titanium because you run a thicker wall and it's not quite as strong you can mm-hmm. um and so you know, up to now they've been like black sheep doing drop bars um Tyler's taken a, a different approach he's actually 3d printed a piece for the the corner where the tops go into the drops mm-hmm. and look i'm right really impressed it looks like a really nice solution to get a full custom bar 
and gives that really nice shelf to kind of rest your palm on on the yeah on the bar. So I'm, yeah, it's not like this tight radius bend of the tube. It's it's got like a, yeah. a proper uh, yeah a lot of surface area to that right. corner. Yeah, um, yeah, and he's not having to probably do the hardest bend of of a handlebar in titanium he's keeping that to another another method of construction so exactly that was that yeah. was very clever i mean they're they're certainly a premium a premium bar as you'd expect for a, a handmade titanium handbar with 3d printing in it mm. um but that was cool and yeah he's like doing uh so i believe the the hooks are always a standard shape so it's a consistent a consistent radius for the the hook of the drop um, but he can vary the flare and whatever width you want to do. So right. it's oh, like so a full and, custom bar. And he's probably going to do one where he welds the stem into it too. So oh, Cool. Okay. Um, yeah. So that'd be like, my customers already want that. I'm like, oh, yeah, we can actually get that now if you, yeah. if you want to have it all matching. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite parts of that is he's come up with, so because the, the radius of the drop is the same, it's like a pretty traditional, mm-hmm. yeah, round, smooth radius shape. If someone wants an ergo shape handlebar, he's actually 3D printed, just plastic print, uh, inserts that go into the drop to give you that ergo shape. So you can just move oh, it yeah. wherever you want on the drop and then just like electrical tape it in place, tape oh, over right. it. You never know it's there, but that gives you the different shape. Someone did that years ago, right? I, I think it's, it's definitely like, been done, yeah. but yeah, I mean, to use like, yeah, yeah, yeah to yeah. use 3D printing in that application, I mean, it just makes perfect sense. Yeah, uh, yeah the other thing that, Obviously, being titanium, um, being a nice wide handlebar, is it's going to be very comfortable. So I can I can right. see why you're uh, looking at that as a pretty interesting product. Yeah, and it's just, and I think he's he's going to do some actual uh, fatigue testing on it and stuff to make Great. sure it's all going to yeah. going to work as planned. And um, so, so yeah, it's just like, it, and it it's actually really interesting how many of the people who are new. New builders are already using 3D printing. Mm-hmm. It's becoming a lot more accessible, it seems like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is kind of cool because it's like everyone's got good CAD skills at that point, too. It's just like, okay, this is everyone's moving yeah. up. So. Yeah. Like, uh, I know like Newhouse help quite a few other, have helped quite a few other builders in the room with, uh, with some 3D printing uh, yeah. uh, skills and knowledge and, uh, yeah, access to that sort of like parametric designs and, and all sorts of, uh, new things coming to the builder's world. So there are certainly uh, a few bikes in uh, under this big roof that, uh, that yeah, I guess have, have shared, uh, shared talent involved. Yeah. And then on the, on the flip side of that, it's nice to see like frameworks um, mm-hmm. really pushing the subtractive manufacturing Yes, um, with the, the machining of the, the pieces he's making. Um, yeah. his, his crank assembly is really interesting. Um, Tell me about it. Um, so... It's a, a trilobe connection between the spindle and the crank, which is like E13 have been using that for years. I've used it on some hub designs and stuff. But his is a split collet, so the trilobe expands into the crank arm. Um, so it's just, haven't seen that before. Um, mm. And it's interesting. So again, I think it's something new that still needs some testing, but um, yes. yeah. it's, it's in- interesting to see people bringing new ideas the perhaps what interests me most about that design is because he's controlling the bottom bracket shell and he's controlling the the bearing tolerances he's controlling the crank the crank the crank spindle he's making it all he's decided to forego having like bearing preload adjustment on the crank so it's literally right. just like a tolerance fit the whole thing which is yeah. pretty I, I don't know if it's bra- it's confident is what i'll say <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of confidence in in holding the the right tolerances to make I think that happen. When you're making every piece yourself, yeah. Then I mean, you can. 
It's it's funny, Dave. I'm just reading or well, rereading a book on the history of precision and how we've got to where we are. Where um, I've, I've heard about this book. I need yeah, to I need each, to pick this up. Each chapter yeah. goes to the next decimal point of like mm-hmm. how stuff fits together, and it's like yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a good read. It's just called Precision, is it? Uh, something I have to check. It's Simon yeah. Winchester, I think. Okay, is the author. All right. Um, All right. There you go. So. Um, yeah, so just like all these people bring in different, and the Jonathan at Frameworks is built built himself a robot to wind his own tubes as well. It's just like, okay, dude, this like, yeah, uh, it's just it's just so impressive the skills people are bringing. Yeah, uh, I saw, he first started teasing that on on Instagram. The robot, like, I think it was like picking up a candy bar and moving it or something <laughs> like that. And he's now got it uh, basically sanding his tubes as well, like right. you know, post cure, like it just to yeah. get like a consistent finish that he doesn't have to do himself. It's right. just. Uh, yeah, running like a an orbital sander across the tube at a consistent rate. Yeah, it's um, it's it's fantastic. It's like like people, okay, anything. Once you get a tool and then actually think about how to use it, it's like yeah, it's really. Uh, I love the creativity in this room. It's yes, people doing all kinds of stuff. Yes, so James actually has one of those bikes inbound to to check out and test out uh, oh, one of the Frameworks bikes. So yeah, yeah so yeah. for anyone that hasn't come across this yet, it's pretty new. Uh, they're not really. I don't believe they've taken any customer orders yet. I think I'm... John. Yeah, I think John said he's maybe got five or six under friends right now. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so it's yeah. uh in-house filament wound uh, carbon fiber. But the lugs. Uh, his background is contract manufacturing for like machining. Uh, for very high tolerance demands. Uh, and and yeah, he's kind of bringing that to the bike world with with in-house machined lugs as well. So it's an interesting project. It is. Yeah. As when I was talking to him yesterday, it's just like. You know, there's, there's no, there's no right answer to the problem of building a bicycle, mm-hmm. and that, I think that's fantastic. Cause yeah. It's like, and, it's, um, uh, and, and that's, that's yeah. yeah, it's probably pretty evident in this room, right? There's <laughs> right. like the the different the number of different approaches that you see. Like even even when you're talking about the same material, just the the way people are using that material is so so variable. It's it's quite cool to go from one booth to the next and just just see the completely different approach to making a bike it is yeah as um yeah there's so much creativity here it's um it's really fun it's, it's, i have to always remember to like look beyond the paint because there's so much fantastic paint work too it's like oh look at the pretty things it's yeah like, so, yeah i mean we so. mentioned flux customs before um for me like the paint's almost too nice because you go mm. to him and it's like you know Flux Customs started as a paint shop, and you're like, you just get distracted by the paint. You're like, yeah. oh, this is the greatest paint. I can see why you got this on display. And he's like, oh, I actually, actually made the frame underneath it. <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, some of the paints perhaps too nice, and that it detracts from from what, yeah, from the bikes. But uh, yeah. uh, anyway, it's it's the package that counts. So it's yeah, it's anything else that you you've seen that sort of inspires maybe on the parts and accessory side. A good question. What about your neighbor? Um, Oh yeah. <laughs> so uh uh Remco tools next to me. Um so it's actually a, a, a guy I know who used to, used to live in Eugene. Um oh, okay. and uh so they both worked for a company that made uh automatically adjusting desks. Um and they're thinking that technology could be really useful for a workstand. And so they've actually done it. And and I'm like that looks amazing, and and I was thinking it was going to be a you know unaffordable kind of deal, but it's 
actually really well priced um and i will be taking one home with me (laughs) yes it's it's uh, like 550 ish dollars yeah. uh that doesn't come with a clamp he's he's working on a clamp at the moment uh which which in itself looks really good uh i think the base is extra as well but yeah you um, can use just a standard park square yeah. base so yep. like a lot of or shops can, will have that already or you can bolt it directly to your floor if you right. if you if you have that ability <laughs> to do that uh yeah for that price and i think that includes domestic shipping too which is oh wow which is quite yeah. quite amazing yeah. uh but yeah like he's Dare I say at least a quarter of the price, if not less than yeah, all think, of his competitive I think competing the, products. Like the, the park one is is two thousand or at least at least right. So, um, and this seems like a better form factor. It's because it telescopes down onto itself. Um, it's really neat, and you can. It's got preset heights. You can program it, and yeah. um, and it will lift a hundred pounds. So, sorry, roll your e-bike in, clamp it, and then lift it up. So. Yeah, um, so I mean, for for me at that price, if you're a consumer that has a nice e-bike at home, or like maybe a cargo bike or something like that, uh, this makes a lot of sense and is actually not unaffordable. Yeah, and then for a shop that's been unable to justify the cost of a of an e-bike and have just been hoping that occupational health and safety don't come by and watch them <laughs> lifting up cargo bikes, uh, or have their employees out for a week because they yes. tweet the backs. And yeah, stuff, yeah. Uh, I mean, this is this to me is like a, a no-brainer, even if it's just an additional stand in the shop. So yeah. I, I suspect if all goes to, to plan with his production and everything, I mean, I see this being a very popular selling product. I do too, and I'm I'm going to try it out for brazing because mm. I always have though to be able to because if I want to. When I'm raising, if I want to raise the bike, I have to like kind of stop, flip the hood up, open the quick release, lift the whole thing, look it back down, and then resume. So most of the time, I end up like, you know, squatting on the floor to get to <laughs> the point. So to be able to just like press the button and have it. I wonder if he can make you like you. a foot pedal. We talked about it. Oh, you did. Yeah, okay. yeah. Because then I was thinking about can I add a servo for rotation as well and have two foot pedals so I can actually oh. just have it move underneath me while I'm raising. Like, what was the answer you know? to that? Uh, like conceptually it's possible yeah uh, okay all right <laughs> i might have to do that bit myself okay that sounds uh like a very niche application but very interesting so i think there's yeah there's welding fixtures that rotate yeah. so you can do the welding it's absolutely the thing with brazing you're always repositioning because gravity is a big part of how you sure. build the fillet um and uh to be able to just have a button and have it slowly rotate it makes perfect sense. Yeah. 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 Oh, uh, keep us up to date on how you go with that if, if, you, if you get that thing moving. Yeah. So. Well, de- definitely just in terms of testing their product in the shop, I'll, I'll report back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Deal. Yeah, me, uh, that's probably one given the weight of it that I might not see in, in, my, uh, in my workshop for a little <laughs> while yet, but uh, doesn't fit in my suitcase. We were, so. we were joking yesterday. So one of the two founders is, is from Belgium um, and the Remco name uh, <laughs> is uh, more to do with with the two founders' names, but we're like, how can, how can we relate this to Remco Venipal? It was like, uh, how, they were looking up how tall he was yesterday, see if the stand happened to come to that height. <laughs> like, I think it goes higher than him, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, not super tall, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a product I'm really excited about. And of, yeah, of all the products in the room, I mean, it's it's... It's not the most game changing by any means, but it's it's probably one of the most uh, one of the products that you you think could be the most commercially viable yeah. at a at a large scale right, uh, at right. that price point. So, 
Did you find any other tools here that jumped out at you? Uh, nothing, nothing too major. I mean, Abbey Bike Tools is here. The only, the only new thing they're showing is uh, a Starnut setter, which is not, not revolutionary. It's, it doesn't really do anything that other Starnut setters don't already do. Theirs is green, a little nicer tolerance, so you're less likely to uh, botch the job. Um, it's, it's a nice tool. It's, yeah, I mean, it's made to Abbey quality, so all good there. Um, at their booth, though, they do have the uh, original Campagnolo service kit, but just the box of it, the wooden, the wooden box, and then they've uh, put their own tools in a <laughs> in a foam inlay within it, which some would say is sacrilege, um, but it's quite cool. So yeah, it's yeah. kind of fun. I did see this morning that the the Wheel Fanatic have a new uh, uh, spoke thread roller. Oh, okay. Um, which looks interesting. I might have to talk to them about that. Okay. All um, right. I'll have to go by. That's always that thing. It's like the, the really good spoke rollers are super expensive. And mm-hmm. someone like me, I, I build some wheels were not enough to justify. Yes. But, but when you don't have the right leg spoke, it's so annoying. It's like, so. yeah, puts up a, a proper uh, delay on things, isn't it? So, yeah. 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 Uh, all right. I'll have to go over there as well. Maybe we can go mm. over there together. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, We've mentioned quite a few things in the room. Are there any new faces? We mentioned Frameworks. That's a new face. Uh, Flux Customs. Are there any other new faces that you think people should should be watching? So there's a, a guy I've been... A couple of guys, actually, that I've been talking to. Um, so Will at uh, Albatross. Yep. Um, yep. I was hoping you'd mention him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been... He uh, actually helped me out with some UDH dropouts for, cool. for the show bikes. Okay. Um, but So he's guy has been in the industry for a while um and now taking out his own thing and he's he's just doing some different stuff so he's he's trying to do some uh passive suspension with uh doing different seat state seat state designs um and then he's created a like modular full suspension bike um which is kind of intriguing it's like yeah, the the apogee is what he's calling it. Still in prototype form, um, but yeah, I mean, his as you said, he came, came, comes from the industry. He's worked for brands like Bell and Praxis and Ibis as a as an engineer, um, engineer or designer. Uh, I forget. Yeah, but, either yeah, way, yeah. he's uh, hands on with with the creation <laughs> of a lot of these products, and uh, he yeah, this this full suspension bike. I mean, the goal is to basically have a fully self contained suspension unit where all the moving components are. Uh, effectively in this little box that you can bolt in and out of the the front triangle and connect a different rear triangle to so you can mix and match front and rear triangles and then change whatever the suspension characteristics are that you're after so you could change out the box to for an air air shock or for a coil shock or change the kinematics of the suspension all without like changing your geometry of the frame it's it's pretty wild yeah it's interesting and in terms of being able to then easily offer a custom geometry on a full suspension bike because mm-hmm. um, you've just got this sub, subframe yep. assembly and the difficult bit around the bottom bracket area is all done because it's yes. the machine pieces um, so yeah it'd be interesting to see how that project progresses yeah he's got some uh, like he's not the only talented individual on that project uh, Colin uh, Houston is also involved and Colin's uh, comes from a design for manufacturing background so he's uh he did some uh design for manufacturing with apple when they were doing some stainless steel products and then he went on to google's hardware division uh and nowadays he runs his own machine shop in tahoe uh lake tahoe 
uh, which is not known as a manufacturing hub. I think he might be the only machine shop in town, but uh, he uh, he does contract work for some some pretty impressive stuff. Makes some military grade drones. I think he might have been telling huh. me. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that was for public, but um, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, he's he's basically doing the the aluminium um, suspension system. Like he's he's the one manufacturing that. So it. It looks nice, and you can you can bet the tolerances on that are, are pretty right. solid. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, in terms of having all the the pivots and stuff be machine pieces, as opposed to trying to brazen when stuff can move, and it's harder to keep everything where it needs to be. Yeah, uh, it makes sense. Yeah, really. Uh, yeah, but yeah, just overall, really clever approach to custom to a custom full suspension frame, mm, um, yeah. and really scalable as well. So. Um, yeah, another one to watch, and another one we've we've covered on Escape Collective. So it's it's in Gallery Two. There's the another trend I've noticed is there's a few people who are kind of reframing their business, kind of moving from full custom to doing uh, like more stock. Yeah, frames like sem- uh, semi-production frames, yeah. kind of like small batch. Yeah, stock sizes. It, um, yeah, and that's that's interesting because it's you know different business model, and some of those people are pairing up I and mean, I guess it's kind of along the breadwinner model in in some ways um but Chris McGovern who's been building custom carbon bikes for for years is starting to start a new brand called Seeker doing mm-hmm. steel and titanium stock sizes yep um and so yeah it's just really fascinating to see mm. what dire- what direction people are going and what what they think people want and yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess part of that is to to bring the price down and and reduce the lead time on your frames. So there's not not really a waiting list, so you you make your brand more accessible. But I mean, the the other side of it is that you you have economies of scale as a maker at that point, right? Like you you're able to set up your fixtures and pump out ten frames. Possibly, I, I, a bat- batching to me is kind of an ugly word because I've got a <laughs> I've got training and practice in in lean production and Toyota production methods. And it, that's all about one piece flow, and you, you don't you don't batch. It's just like mm. batching is an ugly word in that interesting in that context because um, it's if it's more efficient, it's like you have to ask why is it more efficient, and if it's because of setup times, then that's the constraint. Um, I mean, the classic thing with Toyota was um, they used to have to car manufacturers used to have to make runs of cars for weeks and weeks and weeks because it would take them 24 hours to change the dies hmm. for the tooling and Toyota said okay we this is, our customers don't want the same car all the time we need to be able to do this quicker and so through the continuous improvement they went over a long period of time they went from 24 hours to one minute to change the dies which means that the cars can go through the line in any order they want hmm. so they actually build what's wanted not building into a pile of stuff yeah so so I think the humanity tendency is to think that batching is more efficient. Okay. But it's not, it isn't necessarily because if you're building into a pile, that is an efficiency. Mm. If you're building what the customer wants right then. Yes. Then that's, that's yeah. I've, I've seen so. a few that they're kind of running it with the pre-order mindset where they get yeah. like, you know, they might get five orders for the one size and then that's, that's when they make them. Sure. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's efficiency in that, but yeah, you're right. If you're building for stock, then, um, yeah, that, that raises other risks as a business as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, it's like different business models, different, different approaches, and I, yeah. I hope everyone is 
find some success with what they're doing. Yeah, um, and there's also like you know, taking that a step further. There's a few in this room, and and as well like not in this room. Like Fifty One out of Ireland did this as well. Um, a custom carbon brand out of Ireland, um, but Scar Bikes as well has done this, where they're 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 taking their brand name and they're they're taking their design philosophy and their ideas on geometry and tubing and they're uh, moving to. Taiwanese or, or yeah, just Asian Asian manufacturing uh, to to make their products much more accessible in price. And it's and it's interesting, right, that some people will carry their brand name through to the stuff they're not actually yes. making, and other people pick a new name. Yes. So Adam Sklar has decided to keep naming them Sklars, even though he's mm-hmm. not building them. Um, and I think guess Parley did the same, right, when mm-hmm. they started doing overseas. Yes. Um, and then some other people set up a second brand to have a differentiation yeah um and again it's like it's it's uh, not something you've ever considered i had i was in a long discussion with a couple of friends about Mm. um having some local tig welded frames made to my design and some sort of stock sizing and just after i thought about it a long time i was like you know i'm what it's going to do for me is going to shift the balance of my shop time to my uh computer time for sure a better word yeah and i kind of like the balance where it is yeah um and so i didn't seem to be a compelling reason to do it at that time okay um because i kind of like my (laughs) my (laughs) balance of life work yeah at the moment and i get to ride when i want to ride and Enjoy you're, my, you're, you're certainly working, known so. in the room as someone that uh, perhaps tinkers more than a lot of others um, on on ideas and forever trying new things. I mean that that square tube mountain bike is, <laughs> is a perfect example. But it's uh, how many how many bikes are you building uh, in in a year? Like what's, so what's I, I typically sort of end up building about thirty. Okay, uh, so right. I, I schedule two a month and then always try to under-promise and over-deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives me a bit of buffer. Um, yep. And because I'm a one-man shop, it, it means I don't get under too much pressure because other stuff happens in life. I mean, I had to, with the fires and the heat we had, I was basically didn't work for two weeks. And, um, and that's yep. fine. So it doesn't, I can just pick it back up. And, life continues. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. Is, is there a trend that you're seeing, at least from from your own, from what you're building, as to where the demand is and and what style of bike people are, are most are most I think after? The, the most I've been building, I think, the last year or so has been kind of that all road kind of bike, really. So it's people who are riding mostly on the road, and so want road geometry, but want clearance for the bigger tires. Okay, um, how big? Um, kind of thirty five, thirty eight. Okay, kind of range seems to be. The most common, I, from my experience, that, you know, that's why I end up riding probably ninety percent of the time. Even though I'm on the road, most of the time I'm the bigger tires. It's just, it's just it's like, where's that, where's that trail go? Oh, I guess go see. It's like don't have to worry yeah. about it. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that's what I've been doing most. I've been doing a bit more uh, stainless steel this year. Okay. Um, so kind of dialing that process in a bit more and. Mm-hmm. Um, uh so yeah just keep nice. busy okay very good okay so you're seeing all road bikes what do you what do you think is what are other builders talking about what are they you know other builders that you've spoken to at the show have they have they spoken to you at all about trends that they're seeing or how the market is in general 
it's very mixed, mm. right? Yeah, it's interesting talking to people like how may, how busy they are, and I haven't really talked about the mix that people are building. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's some builders who are just kind of more known for one Certain style of styles. bike than yeah. another. Yeah, because um, even though I I build pretty much anything, I guess I'm still probably still pretty more known for road bikes than sure. than other things. Um, so um, yeah, I don't. I'm not sure the answer on that one. That's, okay, uh, all yeah. right, but yeah, how's yeah? What's uh, what's the market like? I mean, you obviously in the the mainstream cycling market, the big brands, the the big production brands like your your Trek, Specialized, Giant. You're, you're hearing stories of of overstock for them. Uh, you know, s- reduced demand, too much stock off of the back of uh, of COVID uh, greediness. I'm going to call it. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, like the, you, you are legitimately seeing bikes now on sale when only 12 months ago, they were more expensive than ever and you couldn't get them. Uh, what's it like in the custom world was, are you seeing like pretty steady business? Yeah. So for me, um, my waiting list had been pretty steady for many years and then it over during COVID, it went out another six months. Um, and I, I think I kind of saw COVID come in and managed to manage it reasonably well. I like overstocked on parts and took to my best guesses of what I might need and, and that paid off. So I was able to keep nice. delivering. Um, and uh, it seems like everyone's still, because the, 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 the high end custom bike thing, I think is a little bit separate from the COVID. Yeah, bike it's room. insulated a bit. Yeah. 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 Um, and whilst the some people hit financially by COVID, and so there's maybe a bit of reticence to to do that, I think so. You, it's kind of that between the the customer where a custom bike is a one a one time thing that they're saving up for, and then the customer who it's not that big a deal. Sure. Um, yeah. And so those those higher end guys didn't really care. It seems like just carry on. Uh, maybe some other people held back a little bit to wait to see make sure their finances were going to be fine and yeah and those things um but i mean it seems really healthy i mean the it's it's just amazing the number of new builders here yeah that i've as names i haven't heard of yes um and yeah. that's that's wonderful and it takes me back i was talk when i was talking to jonathan at frameworks that their first show and it's like took me back to 11 years ago my first nabs and it's like oh yeah i remember what that feels like it's like mm-hmm. Oh my God! What are people going to think? Like, it's uh, um, so yeah. Hopefully, everyone's getting a really good reception. I'm seeing su- such amazing work here. Yeah, there's definitely the foot traffic for it. So hopefully, uh, yeah. what do they reckon? Like three thousand tickets sold yesterday, or something? I, I don't know. I hadn't heard it's that. Like, yeah, yeah. 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 Was, but, uh, uh, it felt busy. Yeah, <laughs> felt very, very busy. <laughs> very hot, very busy. But uh, yeah, it has been a good show. All right, Rob. Any any other thoughts that you want to? Ah, I think that's what I've got for now. All right. Yeah. All right. We'll wrap it up there. Well, thank you for the time. It's good to finally sit down and chat after so many emails back and forth. <laughs> so, yeah. We'll, I appreciate uh, it, Dave. I'm really yeah. glad you and James were able to, to make it here and uh, um, look forward to next year, I guess, at this point. Next so, year. And, yeah. and in the meantime, uh, check out Rob's writing. Uh, his bikes are amazing, but his, his writing's pretty impressive too. He's got some good insights. So, yeah, find it on the site. He's got a... An ongoing column. I, I think we're almost due for the next piece when you when you uh, yeah that's next when week, you get I think, some sleep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll give you another week. So yeah, all right, Rob. Cheers. Cool. Thanks, Dave.
All right. So as always, Rob had plenty of interesting things to say, lots of good insight. Definitely have watched Rob, Rob's bikes at bike shows over the years. Still have yet to ride one. Uh, would love to at some point, someday. I'm not sure if that would ever actually happen. But mm. Legend uh, of the scene, hey. For sure. Yeah. No he's, he's, question he's, whatsoever. He's, he runs a little, a little unassuming booth in the show. He doesn't have much in the way of uh, branding in his booth or big signs like some of the other makers. But uh, yeah, he, he's really a draw card. Um, he was one man show at the, at the, at, at the show. And uh, yeah, it was very hard to get a second with him where he wasn't, uh, wasn't surrounded by people. For sure. Yeah. He strikes me as a man who, uh, maybe has to drink a lot of coffee to maintain that level of energy all day. <laughs> Doesn't drink coffee. What? Yeah. Well, anyway, well, as I as I sit a healthy here with individual. My, yeah. As I sit here with my bottle of Mexican Coca Cola, because mm-hmm. I don't drink coffee either. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Rob. Uh, as I mentioned, Rob does do a regular column with us at Escape Collective, so make sure you head over to the site and check that out. Um. All right, well, this is a little bit of a different format for this week's episode of Geek Warning, so we're not going to go over what's on our minds this week, and we're not going to share a PSA. Uh, Ronan is still on paternity leave, so uh, it'll still be a little bit until we have him back on the show, but next week we'll have more of a regular group show. It'll be me and Dave and probably Zach. Uh, I think Ronan's off for just one more week or so. so make sure you come back for next week's show. Uh, in the meantime, if you liked what you heard today, please go ahead and give us a rating and review over at iTunes because it does help quite a bit in terms of people finding our show. Uh, and if you're listening to the show and you're not yet an Escape Collective member, as I mentioned earlier, please consider doing so because that is how we fund everything here at Escape Collective. Yes, uh, I would add that uh, we want more people to know about us. So we are doing well, but we can always do better. And getting the word out is really important for us at this time. I mean, we've only been going for seven months ish. Uh, so yeah, if you if you can, you like what you, what we're doing, tell a friend. Tell seven. someone. It's been like it's been like five, six. I can't six count. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. it hasn't been long. So tell a friend. Uh, share some content. Go to the website. Check out all our galleries from Made. Uh, James and I have put. A fair amount of work into them. I think we're fairly proud of them as well, James. Maybe. Proud enough. Yeah. And (laughs) I think they're pretty good. So check them out. If you like them, send them to someone that might also enjoy them. Sounds good. Sage advice for sure. Now, Dave, I'm going to have to wrap this up because uh, I need to go put on my escape collective sandwich board and go stand out on the street corner because I'm trying to get the word out. (laughs) Thanks, James. Yeah. (laughs) Just trying to do my part over here. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Cheers.